On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why were the people in the Pharisee's house watching him closely? I'm going to answer that in a few minutes, but first, I need to introduce myself while you're watching me closely and wondering who I am or why I'm at the pulpit. My name is Carol Bonomo, and I am a pandemic parishioner, meaning I joined St. Michael's during Lent of 2021. My introduction to this church came through the Zoom evening office and the church website, which I likely memorized as I pressed my face against the computer screen praying, please open up and let me in. It did, and you did. Over this liturgical season of ordinary time, you have heard sermons given by Kim, who is in training for the diaconate, as well as Jacob and O's, both of whom are seminarians in training to become priests. You can relax. I am not in training for any of those things. What I have just finished training for and why I'm at the pulpit is the healing prayer ministry of the Order of St. Luke. This Sunday, Pastor Kathleen Adams, OSL Regional Director, inducts our class into the Order and our By the Sea Healing community. We have spent over 26 Thursday evenings together on Zoom, reading, discussing, and praying over gospel accounts of Jesus' healing ministry. Because, as Jesus himself told his followers in John 14, 12, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. No matter how humbly or modestly we try to beg off these words, Jesus says he's giving us his gig. His ministry is about to become ours. Our training has been less about things like what's in the oil that we use for anointing in the chapel after Mass, and much more about what healing looks like. Spoiler alert, it looks like us. By us, I don't mean only those of us being inducted. I mean us like the ordinary people Jesus heals in the Gospels. Of course, some of these healings are big. Lazarus walking out of his tomb after four days, still wrapped in his burial shroud. A herd of demons calling themselves a legion, being cast into a herd of pigs and dashing themselves wildly off a cliff and into the sea. But many of the healings are so small and quiet that you can understand why the disciples were constantly trying to shoo these people away from Jesus a man who can't walk, another who can't see, a woman bent double, child with a fever. It's these healing stories that mean the most to me because, first of all, they aren't small and quiet to the one who is suffering or those who love them. It's their life. And second, they illustrate Jesus's love and compassion. 
He knows what purpose he has among us to fulfill, but he also knows the suffering of a man who cannot see or the one who asks for healing on behalf of a friend who cannot. That love and compassion are about to be tested in this gospel account before anyone even sits down to eat their Sabbath meal. In today's reading, we open with the Pharisees watching Jesus closely and then turn to one of those small, quiet healings I mentioned. In fact, it's lesson 23 in our OSL study book of a man with dropsy, what we now call edema. Jesus asks the Pharisees if it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, and receiving no answer, heals him. It doesn't say how, whether with a prayer or anointing or laying on of hands, simply a man is healed and sent off. I was close to a person who developed edema in her arm five years after cancer surgery. She couldn't wear jewelry or short sleeve shirts. You couldn't see her wrist. Her arm ended in small sausage-like fingers. But the worst of it was she was terrified. She didn't know why it happened. Her oncologist didn't know why it developed when it did. She didn't know if it would get worse or what would happen next. She became her edema and her fears. So too likely this man, whether he knows it or not, needs healing of his mind, body, and soul. Now, the Pharisees don't necessarily have problems with healing. The Old Testament has stories that they would know very well about God healing Miriam and Naaman's leprosy, of numerous women unable to conceive, even a raising of the dead by the prophet Elijah. What we have here is a Sabbath problem. Jesus is being watched so closely, not because he's a new face in the pulpit, but because he's Jesus, and he's got a bad rep for doing good on the Sabbath. In our Gospel reading just last Sunday, we heard how Jesus healed a woman crippled for 18 years, and the Pharisees saying, there are six days for work, Come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. He heals a man born blind, and the Pharisees tell the man that Jesus is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. He heals the man who has been sitting by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, waiting to be healed, and the Pharisees tell the man, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. In fairness to the Pharisees, it was only a few hundred years earlier that Jews had been exiled from their land because they did not obey God's laws. That law, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, became carefully enshrined and defined by what you could and couldn't do, mostly couldn't, on the Sabbath. Mosaic law, as spelled out in Exodus, says that to desecrate the Sabbath intentionally, despite warning, is a capital offense. All work, even minor, is forbidden, as Moses spells it out in the Book of Numbers. 
The one place where Sabbath rules are set aside is called, in Hebrew, Balai Hayem, meaning, sort of, to prevent unnecessary suffering to animals. Jesus seems to invoke this loophole when he heals the man of dropsy after his question about its legality on the Sabbath is met with silence. After he heals him and lets him go, he turns again to the Pharisees and lawyers and asks, which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? In other words, if the prevention of unnecessary suffering is permitted for an animal on the Sabbath, surely we can extend that to the unnecessary suffering of a person. But again, he receives no answer. And then we turn to the seating arrangement for the meal, and Jesus is probably watching as closely as he has just himself been watched. Jesus tells them a parable in which he says, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Quite the dinner guest, Jesus, having first healed on the Sabbath, and now suggesting that the other guest's self-importance has no place at the dinner table. And there's more. We finish this reading with Jesus offering his host a list of he who he should have invited. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. The very kind of people he has preferred to heal over honoring the Sabbath in the way the Pharisees would have him do. Jesus has given us his gig. As we leave here and return to our daily lives, let us remember and take comfort in knowing that Jesus' healing ministry is available to all of us, the ordinary ones our Savior loved so much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.